<laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 11, Episode 8. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Dale Thompson. Tonight, you'll hear tales of strange bedfellows, hostile working conditions, dead-end jobs, Little Wonders. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> While many of us will find somebody to share our lives with, there are those who will consider themselves lucky that they're alone. They never have to worry about annoying anyone else with their music, Watch only the movies they want to watch, and never, ever have to argue about what's for dinner. Of course, for one person in particular, they may not be as alone as they wish. In tonight's first story, we shall hear about a middle-aged fellow who's found out that his latest purchase has some issues. Without further ado, I present to you The Lump. On Gallows Hill that overlooked Witch's Valley, where the verdant whispering forests spawned the horizon, Delbert Denton lived alone in a very modest house in a cul-de-sac called Snake Den Road. Delbert was a bachelor, never married, and seldom, if ever, dated. No woman had ever visited his home with the exception of his mother. Professionally single and good at it, came and went as he pleased, working from home, and answering to no one with the exception of his deleterious boss, who called once a day for a five to ten minute catch-up. Delbert had only met the man once when he was hired on as a data entry specialist. He believed his boss to be inimical and guessed he had not managed to get the job through such an intimidating interview. However, he was wrong being hired that day, 
That was five years ago. Dilbert had recently bought himself some new bedding with a comforter, which he was most proud of, and fresh new pillowcases. He spent more time in his bedroom than any other part of the house, since his workstation fit nicely against the far corner of the room. He preferred the lighting in this room above the others. He almost situated his workstation in the second bedroom, but being a smaller room, Delbert felt boxed in. His bed had been perfectly made, and he stood admiring how there was not a single crease to be found. He was so happy with himself, he took a picture of it and emailed it to his mother, who would be gushing over it, as she often would when Delbert did anything. To her, he was the perfect son. She used to really look forward to being a grandmother, but that was years ago. Delbert, being 40, might well be past the age when talking of having children. And when you've had no one to have children with, that might be a little late. As night approached, Delbert went through his nightly routine of taking a hot and steamy shower, brushing his teeth, putting on his night clothes, and crawling into bed. It normally only took a few minutes for him to be completely comatose, but on this strange and impressionable night, something would change Delbert's routine abruptly. When he emerged from the bathroom, fresh and clean, he was fiercely startled by what he saw. There was a lump on his bed, the size of a human being. It was under the covers, and a sheet in the comforter had been folded down at the foot of the bed. He knew for a fact that he did not leave the bed this way when he went for his shower. He had a picture to prove it. His ritualistic, peripatetic bedtime movement had been put off course by this lump right in the center of the bed. He rationalized it in his mind. Could it be a person? How else was this to be explained? Observing acutely, he didn't find this terrifying, merely unexplained. How could this lump have occurred? Delbert had no answer, but the big question was, what am I going to do about it? This was his most concerning thought. Undefinable as it was, he took a risk and approached the bed cautiously, not wanting to be scared out of his wits if this lump was a person. How could a person be in his house? He could not imagine something so extraordinary as a person crawling into his bed. Was it someone he knew? He very much doubted that, since no one visited. He could admit that he was not the best friend anyone could have. He was not very supportive and often found face-to-face communication awkward. He slowly pinched the sheet between his index finger and thumb and eased back the sheet. To his relief, there was no one under the sheets. Somehow, two pillows were laying lengthwise, and with the covers and the sheets being bunched up together, it gave the appearance of a body beneath the sheets. He was breathlessly relieved, not wanting to question how these pillows came to be arranged in such fashion. Delbert's sleep this night was infelicitous, with uncommon tossing and turning, and his mind reeling about those two pillows. It should have been the sleep of the year beneath his new bedding. Instead, he got very little sleep and worked himself up into worry. The next morning, he swore to himself that he would not let this 
unexplainable episode interfere with his day. He rose early, anxious to get his day started. He made the bed, creaseless again, and proceeded to the kitchen where he fried bacon and eggs with buttered toast. He knew he ate too much bacon, but the flavor hit his palate with absolute satisfaction, and beside the taste, he loved the smell. After a hearty breakfast, he decided to do some work. Though he was caught up with his target, he wanted to stay ahead with the data entries. This would give him more time away from the computer in the evenings, a time when he enjoyed a good nature walk along the trails south of his home. Walking into the bedroom, his breath was taken by a gasp. He heaved so hard at the sight that he thought he might be sick. The lump in the center of his bed had returned. His mind became resultant, seeing but not believing, like a dream sequence that was overloading his acute stress response. What is this? Delbert questioned. He moved slowly around the foot of the bed. The shape was exactly the same as before. He knew he found his pillows lying end to end on the first occasion, so this is what he should expect now. But what if it wasn't the pillows? No, of course it was the pillows. They were nowhere to be seen. This is preposterous, he thought. Inching closer to the bed, he gradually lifted the covers, as he'd done before, and there they were, just as he had predetermined. Two pillows. How was this happening? What was causing such an abhorrent occurrence? Removing the pillows from the bed completely, he stored them away at the top of his closet and tidied the bed again. Creaseless, smooth perfection. He convinced himself that he must remain austere, ascetical, and keep his wits about him. Now was not the time for a superstitious mumbo-jumbo. He was envisaging a calm, non-frightful day of data entry and would not allow himself to think about something as ridiculous as paranormal gibberish. His mother was the superstitious one, not him. This was no more than homunculi, not worth troubling oneself over. Dobbert sat at his desk and tapped away for the next three hours, never once looking over his shoulder at the bed. He induced himself into work mode and he was accomplishing everything he had hoped. If he could finish this today, he could actually take the entire day off tomorrow. It would soon be finished and could guide his inertia into a sweet rest upon the bed. As soon as that thought crossed his mind, he stopped typing. His mind had readjusted focus. This was now a peremptory matter, and the desire to look over his shoulder was like an addiction needing to be fed. He cursed himself for being weak, but then justified the notion, only wanting to prove to himself that there were no pillows on the bed in the shape of a human body. As delicately as threading a needle, his head moved ever so gently to the right. Not truly understanding what taking a look would benefit, he did so regardless of how illogical the exercise was. When he had turned, his face drained of its color, it became a pallid shade of death, for what he saw could not be. The lump was in full view. It was again in the center of the bed and in the shape of a human form. Delbert did not have to look to know what was underneath the covers. 
with a spasmodically incongruent outburst of unpredictable rage, brought on by the exaggerated complications of the cotton impressions embedded in the fabric of abominable absurdity and with exceptional incoherent thought, Delbert grabbed a crutch that leaned against the wall from a broken ankle he had dealt with in the previous year and fiercely cudgeled the lump with mighty force in three good whacks. It did not move, nor did it fight back. The only thing he accomplished by the battering was to indent the shape so it no longer took on human form. Once he gathered himself and brought his demeanor under control, he ripped the covers off the bed to find two white pillows. He convinced himself that his outburst was adolescent, but he would no longer remain indolent. He stripped the entire bed of his new sheets, pillowcases, even the comforter. He bagged them in a giant black garbage bag and took them to the curb for trash collection, which coincidentally was scheduled for the same following morning. Afterward, all of the old bedding which he had retired was placed back in the bed and he ordered a pizza for dinner. He was more than determined to wind down, erase all neurenthesia from his mind, and although he wasn't much into sports, he was sure he could probably find a game of some sort to vegetate to. He did this for the remainder of the evening and into the night, and as morning came closer, Delbert saw that the time was 3 a.m. Disgusted with himself for gluing himself for so many hours to the TV, so many wasted hours, he realized that he was tired and it was time for bed. The game on TV had been interesting to watch, but he didn't know who'd won. He knew little about the rules of sports, and he assumed the highest score won. Before leaving his living room, he looked out the casement window, which adorned the front of the house, just to see if the black bag stuffed with his brand-new bedding were still on the curb for pickup. He was relieved to see the bag still there, right where he had left them. He proceeded to the bedroom to find it as he had left it, his old bedding neatly covering the bed no lumps to bother with. Delbert slept most peacefully, not waking once and dreaming very little, but of pleasant things. He believed that his worries with the bedding were over. He was awakened, unmolested, by the garbage truck making its rounds in his neighborhood, and that relaxed him even more. He glanced at the clock, and it was 8 a.m. That was the usual pickup time. Today was Saturday, no work to do unless he just wanted to get further ahead on the data entry. He wrestled with the notion of sleeping a couple more hours because he'd not slept that long, seeing as he went to bed late. He argued that he felt rested, and his taste buds could easily taste the bacon that he loved so much. The bacon lost, one out, and Delbert had made up his mind to get his day started. He fancied a walk, possibly, through the whispering forest. He loved that trail. It was seldom trekked by many at once, and that was the way he liked it. His isolation and avoidance of people were self-imposed. You could not say that he was a lonely man. One might suggest that he alone had extracted himself from the other people. His comfort level would instantly drop around strangers, although people that he knew, a couple of friends and his mother, he could cope with without the discomfort of feeling out of place. He was so thankful that the lump in the bed nightmare was over. 
he already had to force himself outdoors, and did so once in a while as a reward of sorts for a good day's work. He certainly wasn't going to stand by while some mysterious happenings caused him to flee the sanctuary of his own safe haven. No way, no how. As he thought these sorts of thoughts, he detected a peculiarity. He did not move. He became acutely despondent, imperceptibly motionless. He surmised with great confidence that his head was lying on the pillowcase of the new bedding, which he had stripped off his bed the night before, placed in black bags, and carted off to the curb for the garbage collection. He reinforced the previous night's sequence in his mind, not moving a muscle. He was sure of it once he played it all back. He remembered distinctly removing both pillowcases. Delbert had a strong, metered internal resistance to believe that his head was caressed against the very cotton fabric that he had gathered up and disposed of. What sort of witchery was this? Was this some phantasmagorical, otherworldly event? This evocative scare was a torment to his mind. No need to become fanatically unhinged. There had to be a logical, conclusive explanation as to how this pillowcase had found its way back to his bed. He remained obstinate that it was possibly due to being tired. Yes, that was it. He was so tired and disheveled after the game, he had missed the pillowcase. He reasoned more in doing so, thinking it was the former casing. Simply made the mistake of covering the pillow with a new one, thinking all along it had been placed in the black bags and dragged to the curb. This was all becoming too lugubrious for him to rationalize. All of this probing of his mind concerning the events of the night was tiring, and he suddenly found that his rest, which he had gladly accepted, was now a dark, infelicitous cocoon, absorbing the bravery that he was dependent upon. The radical contusion of the truth that was something uh, anomalous and causing him antidromic distress. He shuddered at the thought, but now he was consciously aware that something was leaning against his back. It was heavy, soft, and warm. He could feel this thing down the length of his body. It was at this moment that he realized the sheets, the covers, and the comforter were not his old ones, which he had returned to the bed last night, but rather he was sleeping on the new bedding which he had tossed out. Ghosts, hauntings, paranormal activity. That has to be it, Delbert concluded. The bedding is possessed, inhabited, phantom-energized. Delbert began the hard struggle with much effort to slide out of the bed. He dared not reach over to touch what he assumed was resting beside him. He resisted the temptation to take a glimpse of whatever had crawled into his bed while he slept. Ever so gently, he removed himself from the bed. Once his feet touched the floor, he shuffled over near his desk, where the crutch from his ankle break last year rested. Taking the crutch in his hands, he turned to face the bed. No, it can't be. His reserved, taciturn disposition was falling apart by the moment for there was no lump in the bed. The bedding was his old ones. There were no new pillowcases, sheets, or comforter. He shouted, Stop playing games with me! Show yourself! 
He became irresolute, as if his feet were hardened in heavy concrete. He received no reply, not a single hint that anything out of the normal was occurring. I'm the captain of my own soul. Leave me alone. His voice cracked in tearful oppression. He reasoned, waist deep in paronyms, paranoia, paranormal, without absolution. Every conclusion he rendered announced itself embarrassingly, and he felt used, slighted, and mistreated by an entity he could not identify or communicate with. Frustrated in this psychologically ripe fracas, which for the moment seemed one-sided for Delbert, was the only one without emotional control in the room. He managed to lift his feet of lead, putting one foot in front of the other, he made his way to the door. I'm losing my mind. That's all there is to it. I've gone mad. He opened the bedroom door and looked back to the bed. There it lay, hidden beneath his new bedding. The lump, bold enough to appear, but never to reveal. This made Delbert even more angry. He marched to the one-car garage that stored a can of gasoline for his push mower. Took the can to the backyard along with a box of matches. Determined to rid his home of this malevolent, bedeviling entity, he returned inside the house to his bedroom where the lump had not moved. It was wringing wet with sweat from the exertion, and his heart raced madly. This is so extraneous, but it must be done. He convinced himself. Yanking the covers from the lump only revealed what he already assumed he'd find. Two pillows, end to end. He struggled with the bulk of the load, but succeeded in getting everything, including the pillows, to the backyard. Away from the house, he laid it all out and doused it heavily with gasoline. Delbert made sure it was soaked. He lit the match and tossed it onto the petroleum-drenched cotton. The saturated material exploded in a ball of fire and very little smoke. The heat drove Delbert back toward his house. There, gotcha, he shouted into the red-hot blaze. Unexpectedly, a gust of southern wind, almost as heated as the inferno before him, blew in and across his lawn, lifting the flaming comforter off the ground, carrying it over Delbert's head and onto the roof of his house. The shingles immediately caught fire. Now Delbert had a house fire to fight. He ran for the water hose, which thankfully was close by, and twisted the handle wide open. He spread the roof for all about 20 minutes until the fire department arrived. A neighbor who had first spotted a fire in Delbert's backyard had immediately called the fire department even before his roof became an incendiary device. It took the fire team 30 minutes to get control of the blaze and extinguish the fire. Delbert's house was badly destroyed. The kitchen, living room, and guest bedroom were a total waste. His bathroom survived except for the smoke damage, but his bedroom, where his office was, was hardly touched even by ash. It was intact. Devastated and defeated, he called his mother and explained that he had accidentally burned down his house. Although she was elderly, she still drove a car and came to him right away. He packed what he could of the most important things to do with work and clothes and went to stay at his mother's house while he sorted everything out with the insurance company. He'd really made a mess of things and only wanted to take a shower and crawl into bed. After his shower, he had some watermelon with his mother 
and he explained he would deal with everything the next day, that he just needed to get some rest. She told him she understood and wished him a good night's sleep. His bedroom at his mother's house was upstairs. It was the one he grew up in before going out on his own, so it felt a bit nostalgic, considering everything, to be back living with his mom. He hoped it wouldn't be long before he could get things sorted. He was thankful that he had rid himself of that tormenting bedding. He reached the top of the stairs and was walking toward the bedroom when his mother called his name. Delbert, honey, I wanted to tell you that you'll be sleeping on fresh linen tonight. I just bought a new comforter and bedding for your room. What a coincidence that the day I put it on the bed, you needed your old room back. Delbert stiffened. Should he keep walking toward the bedroom? Or should he return downstairs? Though he had just showered earlier, he was pouring sweat, as if someone had turned up the heat. He struggled to keep walking, practically dragging his feet in the shuffled motion, and he faced the closed door. Delbert turned the doorknob slowly and pushed the door open to find a lump in the middle of the bed in the shape of a human body, wrapped in the exact bedding he just burnt down his house with. I hope you enjoyed The Lump by Dale Thompson as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Thompson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. Mr. Thompson has appeared more recently on this program in recent times, but if you've been enjoying his tales of terror, don't forget to visit his YouTube channel, where he posts up his greatest musical hits. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave Dale a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that me, Otis Jiry, sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. You know, my bed doesn't have a problem with lumps, but I always hate it when the groove in my bed seems to have been messed around with in some way. Though it's strange, I can't recall anybody other than me that would be able to do such a thing. Maybe I do a little too much sleepwalking. But then again, sleep is for the weak. Or at least that's what some might say, including the teller of our next tale. He's a solid fellow, well-behaved, disciplined, keeps his head down. It's just a job that can be murder. In some cases, quite literally. But then again, you should see his boss. Without further ado, I present to you just another day at the office. In the place unseen by the living lies a world so deep that time is forgotten and years are not measured. No longer in the terrestrial, in this existence, it doesn't matter how badly one behaves. As a matter of fact, Bad behavior is readily encouraged. There is no law, no punishment, but there is order. Organized chaos sits at the right hand of the Overlord. 
who manages all who have subscribed to this infernal place. The lowliness of the low, the most offensive of the foul, the most unpleasant of the worst, the most deplorable of the bad, the most crapulous of those who fill their gullets so thick with lust that their throats appear to be on the edge of explosion. They all exist here, confined in their roles, and everyone is responsible, all accountable to their eternal assignments. In this unplumbed region of the abysmal state of limbo, those who are bound are thrust gobsmacked into the incomprehensible. All thieves, liars, murderers, those who have taken their neighbors' wives, those who lust and chase delights and scrutatory love. The eccentric high and mighty, greedy for power, control and lordship over their neighbors, coveting the very things they cannot afford, are eventually dealt with, judged, and then, in a remedial act of sentencing, they're delivered to Satan to learn not to blaspheme. Some are dragged by their feet, kicking and bleeding, screaming for their lives. Their lives have been forfeited and snuffed out into the mystery of death, the mouth that enlarges itself with every new inhabitant. Hell and its counterpart, destruction is never full. Some arrive by the gun, some by the razor, others by the needle, the rope, or careless inattention. Honestly, though, the worst I've seen is the slubbergadolians who behave in such an embarrassing, brachial manner that they are instantly sentenced to the lowest depth, which I've never witnessed anyone emerging from. Once here, we all practice nephilism. No one gets to bring their vices from the living world to the dead. The capsulated world, with its stifling heat, its roaring flames of globe-shaped fire, which explode and crackle from demonic veins, webbed through the labyrinth, feeding the fire and the worms which never die. One minute, a person is minding their own business, living their lives, thinking about what they want for dinner, or planning a holiday with the family, maybe thinking about how they're going to pay off that student loan. Perhaps they're just getting out of bed when it happens. All life, all plans, all future come to a sudden halt and they die. Their next step is coming here. In this godforsaken, inhospitable habitation, they realize that the life they'd lived was an elaborate dream, a lie, and they were stars of their own existence until their curtain came down and the show was over. There are no encores for those who sought only carnal knowledge. Their reward is now realizing all they had ever done, all accomplishments, all wins, all gains have been wiped away, and naked with no earthly treasure, they enter through the gateway of no return. This is where they can find me. Names are not given in this sweltering, forlorn inception. Yes, this is a new beginning, where it never rains. There is no sun, no moon. The stars have all burned out. Forgive me. Now that's a funny term here. Rather excuse me. My earthly name was Dante Russo, but no one knows anyone's name here. My assignment is simple. I shovel coal. I feed the hungry flames, which are all-consuming. 
It's back-breaking work, hunched over, awkwardly performing work, that never ends. There's no conclusion. It's a run-on sentence from a devil that never runs out of air, and where the listener cannot squeeze a word in edgewise. The work is ceaseless, a dreadful task where it never pauses. There's never a break, just scooping and feeding those surmountable nuggets of black incendiaries into hell's mighty swelling furnace. They tell me this is called the colliery. I believe I'm enslaved to Satan. That name is seldom used here, though. Baphomet, Mephisto, the abominable one. All attractive names, don't you think? The devil is the devil wherever you meet him. And I am positive it is the old serpent who has us all entangled in this burning nest of damnation. I'm neither happy nor I'm sad. I just am. I cannot buy my way out, gamble my way out. No bargain can be met. No achievement so grand, no treasure to be given. That would secure my release. Originally, in a sniveling and slovenly state, when I realized the last hope of life had escaped me and my life vanished, mentally the torment began. The bitterness of death has answered the call of my failures, so in tune with my shortcomings and errors in life. Ignorantly, I had drank death daily, but never recognized the dark looming presence when he first began his evil spying on me. Death sought me, planned the day of my demise, and when I was at my weakest, he swooped on me with bold, tenacious inevitability and caught me unaware. One scoop after another, I labor. This thankless work is necessary. Otherwise, hell would freeze over. And we wouldn't want that now, would we? In my unabated role, a mountainous pile of coal is heaped. From this towering pyramid of blackness, those of us assigned to the unrelenting task wheel, our carts, to the base of the mound, where some other person tips a conveyor bed of coal into a cart. Uninterruptedly, I then wheel my cart to my station, where I begin to feed the coal into the open mouth of the furnace. No water is supplied. The only river that runs through the underbelly of this demimond-perfumed, sulfur-choked place is a river of molten lava, a pyroclastic flow from the master's throne. Some say it's the bile from his princely throne. It is not the type of river one can fish or swim in. It's a boiling brew of gases, poisons, rotting smells of decomposition, liquid abscesses bubbling, resembling superating sores flowing in a glowing crimson purification. Disgusting, belching geysers of purulent discharge. My furnace station rests on the banks of a massive lava field complete with scalding hot spouts of intermittent volcanic bombs. Throughout the unapproachable fields, as far as the eye can see, under the bright orange illumination, are symmetrical cone builds of alternating layers. This all adds to the torrent of ash plumes augmented overhead. I'm accustomed to the blast sounds as frequent eruptions shake the landscape. A deep caldera formed not long ago, which sucked some of the other cold shovelers right down into the depression. I know that I'm mid-level, and the 
cauldrons, which boil with the fervent heat, are merely passages into lower corridors that descend into the abominable abyss. I am thankful to be at the mid-level. Nothing is dormant, even on the highest levels. Everything is vibrant with shaking, rocking, and constant vibrations. Fissures can pose real difficulty if they open beneath someone. I was recently caught in one and straddled the gap for the longest time, doing my best not to fall in and succumb to an even greater fate. As chance would have it, the opening closed up just enough for me to make a leap over to the other side where I was safe. Well, at least as safe as this place allows. Seismic activity down here is immense, but like I said, you get used to it. If you want to know the truth of the matter, rats in the sewers of New York and the coal miners in West Virginia have it better than we do. I've had the good pleasure of meeting some very famous people here. I'm not a name dropper, but allow me to share with you my privilege, the titles of some of these disgusting people. I've met kings and queens and all sorts in between, preachers and popes and others without hope, lawyers, judges and cops, those on the bottom and those on the top, drag queens, even teens, movie stars, rock stars, and some that can't even sing. Businessmen, bankers, admirals who set anchor. There's no bigotry, discrimination, or prejudice. There are no corporate ladders to climb. But not all are treated equal, for the punishment here fits the crime. That was a little musical number I made up while biding my time slaving away in this vile environment. There's a lot of time to think here. There's a lot of second-guessing, like... What if I would have... Maybe I should have done this different or that different or changed something. Maybe I should have said no when I said yes. See, you can beat yourself up here for an everlasting time over should have, could have, would have. Second guessing probably wouldn't have changed fates. Doubt is a loathsome friend that brings disquiet and a ringing in one's head. I guess there's nothing wrong with speculating, but you can't worry about things. I used to question everything and believe nothing, and look where that got me. The coal shoveler, one station over, believed everything and questioned nothing. So, you see, I'm here because I belong here. There's no other place in the cosmos where I could be this productive. My earthly life, from what I remember of it, was a confusing mess. That old saying, look before you leap, well, I left out that first part. I never considered consequences, and I just left. Seemed like live and learn was not the best ideology. I had misguided convictions, I'd have to say. Oh, goodness, listen to me. Hindsight's twenty twenty. It's dilemmatic now. I am, as you say, in over my head. I'd say a lesson learned for me would be to choose your friends wisely. Speaking of friends... Because our workstations are isolated from each other, building any sort of friendship in this sweltering sauna is virtually impossible. People get moved around a lot here due to the number of new arrivals. I've had the good fortune, after my initial processing, to be assigned to the place where I still work now. I couldn't tell you how long I've worked here because the conditions are so disorienting. Being here, I'm in a state of sensory deprivation. 
I know one thing, and that's how to keep the furnaces hot. It's important for me not to lose sight of my assignment. I've witnessed others who thought they could become slack in their work and get sent further below to never be heard from again. There's an hierarchy here. First, you have the Prince of Darkness. Some call him your lordship. I've never seen him, but I'm pretty sure he exists. He's quite revered. Beneath him, you have what I call his minions, who do his personal bidding. Below them, you have the enforcers. These are the people who are nominated to keep order. Here, order and peace are two different things. I've seen it get out of hand here, and when it does, they just let it play out. The enforcers usually clean up any messes. Next, in the food chain, are people like me, with the guts of the operation working minions, with the wheels that keep Hades ablaze. Below us, there are far worse conditions. In that Tartarian region I've heard of, unfathomable precariousness. I've heard it's an eternal slaughterhouse for anyone that's condemned there. The irredeemable make up the majority of the population. On this level, it's a free-for-all. An heinous act of debauchery and the deplorable cruelty inflicted cannot be remotely imagined. The place is crawling with the nefarious kind wrapped up in the chrominancy and maliciousness. These are those that never cease to accuse, to defame, to conquer, to perniciously malign. These are the forever insidious repellent ones, ignoble in all of their ways. I'll admit when I first arrived, I was a fish out of water. I thought there had to be a mistake. I told them I don't belong here in this insufferable place. I was nothing like these skeptic types roaming around. The witless, incorrigible bunch they had me lumped in with. It didn't take long before the higher-ups recognized my value, and I've been at the furnace since. I think it's my commitment to work, my on-time personality, willing to please in the fact that no one foresaw me causing any real trouble. Unlike God, the devil isn't all-seeing, all-knowing. He can't be everywhere at once. That in itself gives us some advantage. I don't want to paint this place like a walk in the park, because it's hardly that. I've not mentioned the magma spiders, whose little legs leave nasty burns, nor the flaming cockroaches, which crawl up one's pant legs, not to mention the worms that do not die, which gnaw on the occupants day and night. The lava crickets are a very real thing here. I'd have to say that the policy of no rest, day or night, would probably be the worst of all. Sleep deprivation is murderous here. I'm not sure if it's possible to sleep, but if I could, I'd be reluctant to do so, because if you let down your guard, you'll lose your position, and no one wants to be bumped down a level. My brain and cognitive functions fire often, but as long as I stay robotic in my work, I'm never questioned. You might be wondering about memories, like do I have memories of my family, friends, or lifestyle? The answer is an emphatic yes, but there's a catch. The only memories we're allowed to retain are the bad ones, the remembrances of our worst days, our biggest losses, 
our physical pain, our failures. They accompany us in haunting flashbacks. Memories such as these bring on an impending doom. Imagine if you never had a good thought ever again, if positivity was forbidden. What if you knew the opposite of bad is good, but no longer had the ability to define right and wrong, light and dark, evil or righteousness? Too late to preach. I digress. I'll move on. When I initially arrived in this place, a blaze, I could not imagine what I had done to deserve such disrespect. I was vehement and protested this eternal incarceration. But no one cared, no one listened, and the advice I received in passing was to keep my mouth shut and do my own time. This is when I realized that time was now a figment of my imagination. I was doomed. Oddly, I've not met anyone I know here. I guess that's the point. The old saying that in hell we party with our friends just isn't true. I've not met one family member. Another peculiar thing is there are no children here. I figured if anyone was to be punished and pay retribution in everlasting agony, There ought to be all those little spoiled little brats that have seen causing a commotion in the middle of Walmart and the grocery store. Then again, I suppose the parent is being held liable, you know, for spoiling the little monsters. It wasn't too long ago there was an incident that occurred which left the few of us that witnessed it shivering in our bones. There was a man in full rebellion against the devil himself. He'd lost all composure and astuteness displaying all the temulent characteristics. But we know this is not possible. The man raved on about how he saw this chasm, a gap, and could see heaven on the other side. He was running wildly and shouting things like, It's not real! It's not real! We're all imagining this! We're all fixed into this nightmare collectively! We're dreaming the same dream! Can't you see it? We're a collective body. Wake up. Rebel. Revolt. They're twisting our minds. This place doesn't exist. Hell isn't real. The devil's in your head. Hell is in your mind. Join me. I'd seen such behavior before. His appalling, raucous cries of desperation were falling on muted ears. This sort of outburst was similar to others who attempted to preach religion, share beliefs, minister faith and share convictions. As with all who attempted such shenanigans before him, his insoluble lack of control presaged what came next. Decidedly, his moment was over. His disruption of our daily ritualistic work was met with swift and brutal force by two amorphous creatures of indescribable distinction. Gnawing at me in those few moments of manic disturbance, His words resonated with me as a glimmer of hope. I thought, what if I could cross this gulf? Even if there was the slimmest of possibilities, it meant freedom. I continued my laborious task of shoveling coal, but all the while secretly collating recent events in my head, trying to make sense of what I had heard concerning a valley that separated this loathsome place from paradise. 
forced myself to believe that maybe there was a bridge I could cross. Now I was dreaming. I didn't mind dreaming. Dreams are better than the reality of this nightmare. It wasn't long under the weight of oppression that I reconsidered my delusional thinking. There cannot be a bridge. And let's just say, for the sake of argument, that there is a bridge. Would that passage not be fortified? Of course it would be. Maybe I ought to keep my head down, do my job, stop fantasizing about the impossible, and never think about this again. As these thoughts boiled in my head, it became an additional torment, virulently infectious. My heart had already been scourged in this existence of constant, unrelenting turmoil and noxious, vitriolated, acrid stink polluting my thinking unbearably. And yet I could not stop breathing. I could not end my existence. Annihilation would have been preferred over this conscious state of unhampered suffering. The indignities, the furial emptiness, no free will, the relentless fatigue, the perpetual reclusion which never ends. Forever and ever, I'm told, this day never ends. Framed in a moment to repeat and exercise this redundancy. And for what? Recapitulating prizing the same themes as if I was bound to factory work, which I suppose I am. I'm feeding the machine that keeps the mechanics of this dungeon, lit for the infinitude of human souls. The emanation that is generated from my act only amplifies the nebulousness of our confinement. Regret? Absolutely. I most assuredly wish... I'd done things differently. Yes, I would like a do-over. I would be nicer, more polite, caring, loving, selfless, giving. I would do every saintly thing imaginable. I read a story once where a man begged to return from his Tartarian chains to warn his brothers of the place he'd unfortunately found himself in. His request was denied. The moral of the story was even one from the dead shouting warnings and sounding the alarm would not be a testimony, convincing enough for some to change their ways. I seem to have gotten distracted. Allow me to conclude. My plight? I would not wish it upon my worst enemy. As my horror perpetuates its stranglehold on me, causing constant sustaining distress, vice-like domination, Unleashing pain and misery without mercy. Remember, it's just another day at the office. I hope you enjoyed Just Another Day at the Office by Dale Thompson, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Thompson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. Music, horror, a little humor, and some big words are all things you'll find in his writing and his work at his YouTube channel. If you do decide to stop by the profile... 
Please leave Dale a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. As a reminder, if you decide to give tonight's talented author's story a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. Be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program and that me, Otis Chiry, sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Dale would much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of today's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase a season pass for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month Get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Story Time, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S 
at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Ha 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 ha.